You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Do it like a 1920s radio announcer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Worship Review, your podcast where we examine the texts of Christian worship music. Uh, I'm Colin, and I'm a history professor in the Midwest in a large research university. I'm Tyler, and I'm a graduate student in linguistics. And today we are going to be evaluating the song "Yes, I Will" by Vertical Worship. We ask three questions of every song that we evaluate. They're simple questions, but they allow us to say so much, sometimes a little too much. We'll try to be brief. Who or what is the song about? What happens in the song? Is the song coherent, clear, and consistent? And then at the end, we give some concluding remarks and give it a rating out of five. And we don't tell each other what the criteria are going to be. So that's always a fun surprise. Tyler, let's begin with who or what is the song about? Yes, I will tell you what this song <laughs> oh, is about. <laughs> <laughs> so Tyler this... just became a father recently, so he's full of dad jokes now. I don't now. know if you can tell. This song is about, I would say, two things. The first thing is it about is that it's about what the singer is doing, what the singer will do, what the singer chooses to do. So it's it's overwhelmingly a song about actions that the singer is taking. Okay. Uh, singing, praising, worshiping. And then I would say secondarily, we have these moments where it illuminates these decisions that we make by examining the character of God. So God never fails. That's why I will now not fail and why I will choose to praise him. So we have the actions being taken by the singer and the character of God kind of undergirding those actions. So you're saying that God is present, but always in a way that's mediated by the individual. Yeah, exactly. The The individual stands as a kind of an interpreter of God and describes then how his plans won't fail because God never fails. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails, will not fail me now, you won't fail me now. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now, you won't fail me now. So we see that God never fails in that, but we also see what the person is doing. He's counting on this and presumably plans to praise and sing and, and take action. This song does something that many songs fail to do in that in saying that God is going to do something for the worshiper specifically, the worshiper does say something about God gen- that's generally true. So I count on one thing, the same God that never fails, objective truth, will not fail me now, subjective reality. Right. We can disregard for the time being that that's a bit of a tautology. If God never fails, I don't need to then reiterate that he won't fail me now, because a product of never failing is that you won't fail me now. Yes, but if the singer had just said, I can count on one thing, you won't fail me now, we would critique it, right? It'd be even worse, I think. Right. So, at least the singer says, 
It's true that God never fails. Full stop. Indeed. You won't fail me now. It's redundant, yes, but in a way, that's what we're that's what we're doing subjectively all the time, is we're saying there's this objective reality of God. We need to remind ourselves of that. Mm-hmm. Because because that thing is generally true, then it's going to be ge- it's going to be sub- it's going to be true in my subjective experience of the world and my Christian walk, et cetera, et cetera. Like because God is faithful, I know that He's going to be faithful to me. Right. We can apply that general truth yes. in a specific way in our lives. We go wrong when we just say God is faithful to me, or that God is perfect to me. Right. <laughs> or we also err in making universal statements about God solely based yes. on our subjective experience, yes, too. that's another so problem. We might say, well, God has not been faithful to me in the past couple of weeks, so God is therefore not faithful. Right? Yeah. That would be poor reasoning, and it would yes. be untrue to speak of God. Yeah, so even so, though it's a tautology, I, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, fair enough. This song depicts three different time periods, okay? This song depicts the present tense, God will not fail me now. I choose to praise, to glorify. These are things that are happening right now. It also depicts the habitual past tense. So it then directly reveals things about God's character by doing that. He never fails. He is never late. So these are grammatically in the present tense, but they imply something habitual about God Because if I say he is never late, I'm grammatically in the present tense, but I'm talking about maybe a thousand times in my past or even before I ever existed, eternity's past. You know, he, yes, God obviously doesn't run late, but I think what's meant here is that he orders time in such a way that things happen when they are meant to happen. You chose not to throw out your fancy grammar terms. (laughs) You didn't say anything about imperfect. (laughs) I, I did not. I actually, no, I didn't. Thank you, Colin. <laughs> and the third time period that's depicted in the song is the future. So we have the present, we have the habitual past, and we have the future. In the waiting, the same God was never late. It's working all things out. You're working all things out. Uh, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. So that's that's implying a kind of conditional future when my heart is heavy or when I'm in the valley, I will then sing for joy. And so we have the present, we have the past, and we have the future. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, we don't have any indicative past tense, that not just habitual past tense, but things that we can point to in the past that happened, like mm-hmm. the incarnation or the deliverance <clears throat> of Israel from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have essentially all of time kind of summed up neatly in this song. Yeah. In these habitual past things, as I mentioned, we learn things about God. Um, he works all things out in such a way to happen in their appointed time. So he, there's a kind of hint at sovereignty there. Yeah. Um, nothing can stand against him, or I should say nothing can stand against his name. Yeah. So we know that he is all powerful. We know that his plans come to fruition and they are accomplished. I also learned some things about myself when I sing this song. Um, so I am to put my trust solely in God and in nothing else. Uh, sometimes I learn I, I learn about myself that sometimes I will be in the waiting, as it's called in this song, yeah. in periods of, I guess, um, well, waiting for things to happen or waiting for something that I want to happen that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I wasn't sure what that meant. It, it just seemed like an overly obtuse way to just say, when I wait. Yeah. 
for we when have a I'm lot waiting. Of those, don't we? Yeah, it's just like in the waiting. It it almost sounds like a some weird place in like a fantasy novel or a science fiction novel or something. Yeah. So we have wait the verb ing the suffix making it a gerund and in. So so I am inside of within it. Yeah. this thing called the waiting. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know what else I could say about it, just that it's weird. Because because the same number of syllables could have been when I'm waiting, and it would have been way yeah, clearer. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I think it's maybe an attempt to, you know, sometimes people confuse being vague with being poetic. Or being insightful. Yeah, in the same way that, you know, this was the bane of my existence as a worship leader, but it's the same way that sometimes people confuse being contemplative with slowing down the song. Hmm. Oh, it drove me nuts. It still drives me nuts, actually. <laughs> Not just for, for contemplative reasons, but yes. when when songs are sung yes. drastically too slow. And sometimes I am in I learn about myself that I can anticipate being in the deepest valley with a heavy heart. And in those moments I should cry out to God. So I learn about God, I learn about myself. Uh, but there are noticeably some things that are not mentioned in this song, and we can't ding it too much for what's not there. But the people of God are not referred yep. to explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, the second and third members of the Trinity, as far as I can tell, are not even inferred from the text, let no. alone explicitly stated. Uh, like I mentioned before, some uh, concrete examples of historical moments that are significant for Christians are not present either. So um, there there are some kind of glaring holes in this yeah. song, but what it has is not inherently heretical or something like that. It's, it's, it's yeah, fine. They're just these noticeable absences. I mean, you mentioned, for example, the absence of the second person of the Trinity. It's strange to me that in the refrain, there's this line, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names, that nothing can stand against. It's like, well, to just say the name, like you, you're just going to glorify the name. Which, by the way, I, did he mean to say name above all oh, names? I have it's so a weird paragraph to say about <laughs> this wording in the clarity section of this episode. <laughs> I don't, but you know, why don't we just hit it now since yeah, you brought might it up? Well. What is the name of all names? I don't know. It isn't. The, the, it isn't a thing. I couldn't find any reference to it anywhere. I did a Google search. I found no reference to it apart from this song. Or you Google it and you find like baby name generators and things like that. I don't know what the name of all names. I th- Here's what I think, Colin. I think we have, we have the name above all names, like you mentioned that he's hinting at. Right. And then we have constructions in English translations of the Bible that are X of all X, like um, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh And I think this guy may have taken that construction and said, well, why don't I just, if I can do Kings and Lords, these uh, honorific um, majestic titles for Jesus, why don't I just plug in name? Because he is also the name above all names. So he'll just be the name of all names. But obviously the listener sees the problem with that. And that is that the preposition above in name above all names implies a metaphorical elevated state. It is a superior state. It is a higher state. The name that is above all names is the most, the apex in the pinnacle in honor and glory among names. But if I just, if I just say name of names, that preposition doesn't communicate any of that metaphorical meaning. It's just 
it just sounds like a strange yeah. oblative construction or something. I have no inside knowledge into how this song was written. If this were me and and I wrote this, I could tell you what would have happened to me. It's that I wrote the song and I wrote the melody first without writing the words and I had the fixed amount of syllables and I'm like, it won't quite fit. It sounds clunky. I got to cut one of those syllables, but I really want to say the name above all names. So I'll just shorthand it, name of all names. It's good enough. People will know what it means. It'll be fine. Sure. And to be fair to the songwriter and probably to some enthusiastic listeners somewhere, I'm not saying that this is a horrible no, thing to no. do. No, It's just weird. It's just uncomfortable to yeah, listen to. It's just weird. That's all. Um, just like, you know, if your spouse all of a sudden said, I love thee, you'd be like, well... <laughs> Fine, grammatically okay, but that's just uncomfortable. Why would you to say that? Yeah. yeah, I get that. Undergraduates sometimes they submit essays where they're trying to be clever or they're trying to sound scholarly, and they end up just writing a lot of words or um, like switching possessives to instead of apostrophe s to blank of blank. Oh, so like meeting. Occam's razor becoming the, the razor, razor of, of Occam. Occam. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like that's anyway. Please don't do that. No, please don't. <laughs> oh, yes, I- As I mentioned before, the song is dominated by verbs of doing on behalf of the singer. So, mm-hmm. I count on you. I will lift you high. I will glorify the name of God. I will sing for joy. And I choose to praise. So, mm-hmm. deliberate actions on me, the singer, to honor God and praise him, glorify him, lift him up, uh, all, all good things that we might want to do. I don't know why... He is said to choose to praise necessarily, although I don't necessarily object to it either. It's just, again, it's uncomfortable wording. Um, Why is that? Because, because again, it seems kind of tautological. No one compels you to praise generally. Yeah, otherwise it wouldn't be praise. It's It would be a, a forced, you know. Yeah. It, it would be some sort of coercive thing. So, it, it just seems to be awkward wording. Although I can understand in the context of... Uh, suffering, which is implied in the okay. dark valley, yeah, that's right. we might say, rather than despair, rather than uh, feel sorrow for myself, pity for myself, I will choose to praise God yeah. in this moment. And in that sense, I think that's perfectly legitimate. And I think that's probably what he's saying is he's he's implying that there's an opportunity not to choose to play praise, and so he's making this declaration. So it's not quite as egregious as raise a hallelujah, right? Which is redundant. Right. But it, but it is, coming back to all these verbs of the self-doing, it is ultimately a song similar to that one in that the attention of the reader in reading the text is drawn to the worshiper. Yeah. And what the worshiper is go- doing, what the worshiper is going to do, yeah. and how they're going to do it. Yeah. And really the only explicit reasons we're given to praise God in this song are things that are said to be habitually true about him, like he never fails, mm-hmm. he's never late, and nothing can ever resist him. Mm-hmm. So we have these three kind of indirect reasons to praise God, but everything else is, at the end of the day, it's it's not about God's action in our lives. It's not about God's plan for salvation. It's not about Christ suffering on our behalf and taking upon himself our sins. It's ultimately about the worshiper and what I am doing and what I choose to do and what I will do. The worshiper does say that God never fails, and this is totally true. 
Joshua 21.45 says this really nicely. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel have, have failed. All came to pass. Mm. God does not fail. God keeps his promises. It's another way of saying God is faithful, mm-hmm. right? And so we can trust in him. So the way that he says God is faithful is that God never fails. He also has a weird way of saying what I think is God's timing is always perfect, So, he says that God is never late and is working all things out. It's true in a sense that God is never late and is working all things out. God's God's timing is perfect. We know that, like the day of the Lord, for example, is timed perfectly because we have 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. So there's a difference between slowness and patience. Slowness implies that Mm. something's meant to happen sooner, but it's not happened. Patience is different. Patience is willful. um, Restraint. Restraint, yeah. And and so God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God fulfills his promises with patience. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, he's never late. But the wording in the song sounds a little bit like Frodo confronting Gandalf when he's late to show yes. up to the Shire. And he's like, you're late, Gandalf. And he's like, a wizard is never late, Mr. Frodo. He arrives precisely when he means to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's kind of an odd way to, to put it. I get, I think, you know, it's it's colloquial and it's fine, but could be seen as imprecise, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think we may be dealing again with something that was intended to sound more poetic by being yeah. a little bit obtuse yeah. rather than, uh, you know, saying something that's quite straightforward, but it's yeah. maybe boring to listen to. Yeah, in this case, maybe even relatable. Human beings are late to things. Like, mm-hmm. the people who are yourself. singing this, the people who are singing this at church, right? 10% of those people were late to church. Well, God's Ooh, never late. This would be a good guilt trip song in the first song. Ooh, yeah. Show up. To what extent is this song consistent, coherent, and clear? So we've already discussed a couple of ways in which it's a little bit unclear by its choice of wording. So I would say it is it is often less than clear. It's not necessarily unclear. Does that make sense? No. Okay. <laughs> it is... Okay, fine. <laughs> no, it does make sense. There's some vague gray space that worship leaders and politicians occupy However, it is quite consistent, I would say. So, it is consistently about what I am going to do as a consequence of things I know about God. It is consistent in its optimism about the way that things happen in my life, even devastating, challenging, uh, sorrowful things. It's optimistic in that it looks to God's sovereign wisdom in ordering things to determine my reactions. And so if I know that God has a situation in his control, I will praise him even when things don't look good in the moment. Mm-hmm. So in, in that way, it's kind of a, it's not just consistent, it's kind of a mature Christian consistency you would hope to see too. What would you say for the uh, consistency and clarity? This song is expressing something that we do see in the Psalms with its 
yes, I will. These declarative statements over and over and over again of what the worshiper is doing. There are moments in many of the Psalms where some trial is described or, or enemies or plots or sin or something, something there's a problem in the Psalms. And then there's this moment where the psalmist is like, no, I will trust in God. Mm-hmm. Or in some, and often in cases, but God, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Like the action sometimes is God. The example that I thought of that I think captures what this song, the psalm which I think most compares to this song is Psalm 59, which is describing enemies who are relentlessly plotting against the psalmist and it like the idea of them plotting keeps coming back so there's a few verses of enemies plotting at the beginning of the psalm and then you get a but you o lord laugh at them you hold all the nations in derision o my strength i will watch for you for you o god are my fortress my god in his steadfast love will meet me God will let me look and triumph on my enemies. So these are things that God does. But then in the psalm, it goes back to the plotting. Like the psalmist, like that's not enough. The psalm is like forgetting what he just said about God. And then there's this second moment in verses 16 to 17 where we get a I will. And the Mm -hmm. psalmist is like, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge. In the day of my distress, O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Now, this the psalm does some of the things that sometimes we ding worship songs for, in that it's very subjective. It's describing God's goodness personally to the psalmist. Now, of course, it's encapsulated in Scripture, mm-hmm. and it's in, even in the psalm, there are objective things that are said about God. Even though, yes, the camera is focused on the actions of the individual, they do sound a lot like some of the actions that we see in the Psalms. Colin, am I, am I being too picky if I am bothered by the words, you won't fail me now? This is uh, first verse. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. Well, what would be your problem? My problem is that this implies a, well, an expectation of God that he would not fail me now, meaning that what I want to happen in this context will come to pass. And if that doesn't happen, then he has failed me. I don't know. I think you could be reading that into it. What what evidence do we have that this is speaking about? I mean, we know that there are some bad things that are happening because we see that there's a lowest valley and we know that his heart is heavy. Mm-hmm. But so we know that there are some bad things bad things, bad feelings that this person is experiencing. And obviously, God doesn't necessarily relieve us of our feelings, although we don't know for sure that that's what this songwriter is saying the resolution will be. Mm -hmm. 
I see your, but your objection is I'm reading something into it that I, may not be there. I think maybe. So if, if that's the case, then yes, I'm willing to back off. But I also would say the, the zero evidence argument also stands for the idea that this is. Well, ambiguous. A, a person who is going to accept whatever God hands to him. And so even, even suffering is not failing him, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because we don't have evidence to to support the claim that you won't fail me now means um, your your purposes will be accomplished in this context, regardless of what I want. Well, we have the same God who's never late is working all things out, hmm. which I think, even though it's colloquial, we could take to be something like, God has said he'll do something. Mm-hmm. He's going to do it, and it's going to be the right time. And it will be the perfect plan. Yeah. So in which case, maybe there's the expectation that the suffering and bad feelings might continue for a while. Mm-hmm. But in those sufferings, I should trust yeah. the Lord. Okay. So I, I objected to it because initially it reminded me quite a bit of another song uh, that we did, which has a line, you're never going to let, never going to let me down. Yes. Uh which has, in my mind, a very similar underpinning, depending mm-hmm. on how you approach mm-hmm. the interpretation of these songs. And that is, I have an expectation, you will make sure that it's fulfilled yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And sometimes our expectations are wrong. Yeah. This song, though, it does have that assurance that the believer is giving himself or herself that, hey, God's never late, and he's working all things out. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point... It, it even preemptively concedes that we may be led through dark, yeah. lonely valleys. Yeah. In quite a clever way, actually, I have to say that metaphor is clever here. So, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. So, instead of saying praise, it uses the idea of lifting, hmm. lifting high. So, it's describing, it's, it's, and then the valley being the uh, metaphor for again, like sadness or badness or trials of some kind. It's just neat because we have, in using those two euphemisms, we have a high-low contrast. Right. So it's consistent. And and the following lines, too, I'll sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Yeah. So I'm not feeling joy in, in, in a, con- I'm not feeling joy as a consequence of my external circumstances. And yet, yeah. because of these eternal truths, yeah. I will sing for joy. I mean, at some point we may do, uh, Blessed is whatever that song is, the Blessed Matt Redman song. Yeah, name. we might do that song, which I think plays on some similar ideas to this one. Yeah. So on the whole, you know, I found this song reasonably coherent and clear, with some inconsistencies that we've already talked about. Just strange turns of phrase. Yeah, just, but again, nothing that is so outrageously no. incomprehensible that we have to no throw it out. No. So Tyler, just by way of conclusion, would you recommend this song for corporate worship? Colin, I, I would not. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I know Still on the fence, but I, slightly I, off the fence. I, I, I'm on the no side of it, and and primarily because it is it has no, as far as I can tell, clear references to Scripture. Um, we have these less small kind of micro-lessons about God, but they tend to be somewhat vague. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I just didn't, I wasn't moved by it. Okay, uh, so I am 
on just on the other side of the fence than you are. I came in straddling the fence. I actually came in prepared to say, eh, I'm not sure about this. And I think by the end of this, I'd say, yeah, probably the the good outweighs the bad in the mm-hmm. song. I have to say, initially, when I was reading the text, I read it as a bad rap. <laughs> Because just because of the um, and I choose to praise to glorify to glorify oh the name of all things. I don't know why, but it just looked it looked like kind of a like a rap song. Don't quit your day job, Tyler. I won't trust me, <laughs> Tyler. What did you end up scoring the song? So after some deliberation and coming down a little bit on the no side of the fence, I'm going to give this song two out of five million dollar settlements. Ooh, burn. <laughs> You want to explain that one, Tyler, for our viewers who do not follow abuse scandals in the church? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The Vertical Worship team uh, started as a band, a worship band out of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. The church slash mega operation known as Harvest Bible Chapel, James McDonald's radio, internet, television ministry, and uh, the all of the campuses of Harvest Bible Chapel. And there was a, well, there was a very significant falling out that happened about a year ago as at the time of this recording. Someone might have hired a hitman. Or threatened to do that. Yeah. Threatened to punish people by putting illegal things on their laptops to get them in trouble with authorities. There may have been a dartboard with people's pictures on it. Lots of elders, former elders of the church came forward and said, and I, when I say lots, I mean... I think close to 10 by the mm-hmm. end of the day, they had, they had, they had plenty of credible witnesses say, this is not good the way this is being run. And the church decided to sue the people who came forward and the reporters who broke the story has, has since recanted of that lawsuit and said, we should not have done that, but then settled outside of court this month with the former pastor, for $1.2 million, a property, and $250,000 from another source, too. So a total of $1.4 million and some property. And a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) And total rights over Walk in the Word Ministries. Colin, what did you give this song? Uh, I gave it three out of five multicolored banners. Ah, okay, I got it. Music video. But yeah. a different music video. Can yep. you explain a little bit more? In the music video, there's a kid with cancer and, you know, they're having a tough time. And then you also see simultaneously a, a B story, which shows a group of of teenagers driving in a car. And they it, it's actually uh, almost a parody of the 1979 video by Smashing Pumpkins, where the kids get in a car and they go out and they go into the grocery store. But in the 1979 video, they start stealing things from the grocery store. And in this video, they look like they might be stealing things because like the girls sitting in the cart and they're kind of throwing stuff in the cart. And you think like, what are these hooligans doing? And then they, you should, you see the hooligans like spray painting things. And so you're like, what, what, what are these? There's this, this person that's, that's got this, this child that's got cancer. And then we've got these hooligans. But then at the end, you see, that the hooligans really aren't hooligans. They got up, they, and they weren't out late at night. They were up early in the morning before dawn, getting all the supplies to make a banner that's multicolored that says "Yes, I will." The name of the song, and it's and it's uh, they have it outside the 
And the child gleefully stands and yeah. jumps and dances with yeah. her parents. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Worship Review. Don't forget to subscribe, send us an email, tell your friends, rate us, follow us on Twitter at The Worship Review, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.